Now, a famous chart-topping song by the Beatles uh, tells us that all you need is love. Love is all you need. Love, love, love is all you need. The Beatles first performed uh, that song in 1967 as part of the UK contribution to um, a TV program called Our World. Uh, it was the first live television, global television linker. That's when they performed that song. They were asked uh, to come up with a song with an inspirational message that everyone understood. And they came up with, all you need is love. Now, I don't know whether you are a Beatles fan or not, but all of us know something of that truth, isn't it? We all need love. We all search for love. We all long for love. And we all attach ourselves to some kind of love in our lives. The problem, of course, is that all the things we depend on for love, all the people we depend on for love, will ultimately disappoint us. All forms of human love, in the end, actually, comes up empty. Your wife and children love you, but not without strings attached. They expect you to behave decently, or they withdraw their affection from you. But of course, even if people are willing to put up with us for a, um, for a while, in the end, people die. And all we are left with are memories of their love. So in the end, all, all, all forms of human love disappoint us. Now, of course, some people say uh, the key to lasting love in life is to love yourself. But all of us have tried that, right? We love ourselves every day, and we know it's never enough. So, of course, we are stuck, aren't we? Uh, we long for lasting love, but we cannot find it in people or in ourselves or in things. So where can we find the love that meets all our needs? Not just in this world, but in the world to come. Well, the Bible's answer uh, to our need of love is explained in the most famous verse in the Bible that, uh, that Joshua read for us. John 3.16. Uh, it records the words of Jesus to one of the teachers of the law at the time, Nicodemus. Just to read for you again that John 3.16, which is in front of you in your program. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Here are just three things Jesus, who spoke these words, wants us to know about love this Christmas. Just three things I just briefly want to share with you. The first is that God loves us. God loves us. The central claim of the Bible is that God loves human beings. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. To put this more concretely, think about all the categories of people in the world, beginning with the letter A. We can say with confidence that God loves artists, astronauts, animal rights activists, airplane pilots, athletes, acrobats, and yes, accountants, right? God loves people from Albania, Alaska, and Africa. He loves absent-minded people, awkward people, assertive people, authoritarian people, and even antisocial people. That's just the letter A. How about the letter B, right? We can say with confidence, God loves babies. 
bankers, ballerinas, Bible readers like Joshua, biology teachers, bed watchers, bus drivers, yes, including the bad ones, right? God loves bookworms, right? Bachelors and botanists. God loves BBC viewers, blondes, brunettes, and even people with blue hair, right? God loves bosses, yeah, I know, that's hard to believe. Uh, God loves bartenders, people with braces, and definitely, of course, we would say God loves Baptists, doesn't he? And that, of course, is just a small fraction of people God loves. He loves them, not necessarily what they do, but he loves them as people. And God loves, of course, God loves every human being on the planet because he created us. Now, of course, different words mean different things to people. If I said Boris Johnson, someone may think what? Strong leader, right? In the middle of a pandemic. Another person may say incompetent, reckless, unfixed in positions. I'm not giving my own political opinion. I'm just saying different words mean different things to different people. The Bible here is saying that God loves us. For God so loved the world. What exactly does the Bible mean by love? What exactly is love? Well, here are a few answers from young children about what they think love is. Chrissy says, love is when you give someone your french fries without making them give you theirs. That's what Chrissy thinks love is. Mary says, love is when your puppy licks your face, even after you left him all alone all day. Karen says, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down, and the little stars come out of your eyes, right? That's what children think. I think these are, personally, I think these are great definitions of love. But is that what the Bible means by love? When the Bible says that God loves us, it is using a special word in the original language, New Testament Greek, which a word called agape. It means that God loves you with a full, permanent, and without strings attached kind of love. God's love for you is totally uninfluenced by you. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more or love you less. Why? Because love is not something God does. Love is who God is. The Bible tells us that God is love. How do we know that? Well, we know that because the Bible says so, but we also know because the Bible teaches us another truth, which is the true God of the Bible is an eternal relationship of three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And here is a profound key point. It is this. Love is the glue that binds these three eternal persons of the Trinity in perfect union. You see, the true God at the core is an eternal relationship bound by love. So God is love. The Father has always loved the Son. The Son has always loved God the Spirit. The Spirit has always loved the Father. The inner life of God is a life of self-giving eternal love. God created us not because he needed our love, He created us to share that love, that eternal love you already had within himself from eternity past. And the good news of the Bible is that God 
has not just loved us. He has proved this love to us by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that first Christmas day. Jesus is God's gift of love to us. And this is the second truth we learn from this verse. The first truth is what? God loves us. The second truth is Jesus is God's gift of love to us. God is full of love, beauty, majesty, and goodness. But none of us here treat God as he deserves to be treated. There is no one here who gives God the first place he deserves all the time. We live for me, myself, and I. And the Bible calls this sin. Sin, as I like to say, is not just doing bad things. It is building your life on anything other than God. And this makes all of us here sinners. And the consequence of our sin is that we are now perishing, to use the words of Jesus. We are all now totally separated from God and hated for hell forever. But the good news of the Bible is that God is love. And he still wants us to share in his love now and for all eternity. He wants us to live with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not remain headed for hell, but should have eternal life, life with God forever. You see, God the Son, Jesus, entered our world that first Christmas to bring us back to God. He came to die on the cross as punishment for our sin. That's why Jesus came. That's why Christmas matters. Now, a story is told about 20, about 20 American soldiers who were held captive during the Second World War. And during their captivity, they were forced to do what all captives were forced to do, which is they were forced to do hard labor. And of course, this involved digging around with their shovels that they were given. So one morning, the soldiers show up for duty, and the prison guard takes the count. There are 20 prisoners, but he checks the shovels. There are only 19 of them. One is missing. So he says to them, what's happened? Where's the shovel, right? How can it be 20 of you and there are only 19, right? So he says to them, look, I will kill five prisoners if the person who has forgotten his shovel does not step forward. And of course, a few seconds later, a prisoner steps forward and admits that he has forgotten his shovel. And of course, the guard takes the pistol and shoots him on the spot. The prisoner dies. And the prison guard wants everyone, the next person, to forget their shovel would die the same way. So the, the, the prisoners go off, they do the work, right? After the work is finished, the prison guard does what he always did. He counts the shovels again. He's expecting to find 19, but now he finds that there are 20 shovels. So it turns out that the first time round, the prison guard simply miscounted. It also turns out that that prisoner stepped forward to sacrifice his life for his friends. 
He hadn't forgotten the shadow. He simply wanted to serve five other people, the other five friends. And as we think about that prisoner's self-sacrifice, it reminds us, it, we, 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 we immediately notice that it resembles something of what Jesus has come to do. Jesus has come to die in our place. That prisoner died in the place of others. Jesus has come to die in our place so that we may have life with God. That's what Jesus has come to do. But yet, as we think more about that example, we again realize that it's not quite the perfect example of Jesus. Because, you see, in the truer sense, the prisoner's sacrifice falls far short of what Jesus has done. That prisoner died for his friends and comrades. He died for people he had gotten to know very well, who loved him in return, I'm sure. But Jesus has not come to die for friends and comrades. He has come to die for the prison guard. Jesus died on the cross for people who hated him. Jesus suffered on the cross to take the punishment of his enemies. For people who walk the other way when God is coming to them. For people who want nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus died for sinners, for rebels, for you and for me. And Jesus, by his death, is not only offering us forgiveness of our sins. He is offering each one of us who truly repent and come to him to share a loving and eternal life with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I want you to imagine with me for a minute a person under death penalty. They are facing death penalty. They are on death row, right? And while they are on death row, they are also infected with a terminal illness. Not, not COVID. I mean, <laughs> real terminal illness. They are going to die. Now, he's on death row, he's got a terminal illness, right? If the person is simply released from prison, from death row, right? It won't do him any good, will it? Because he's going to die. If he is just cured of his disease, it won't matter because he's going to be executed anyway. So what that person needs to serve him it needs both a pardon and a healing. Forgiveness and new life. We are that person. You and I not only need forgiveness for our sins from God, we need the very life of God. We need God to breathe life in us through his Holy Spirit. And this is what God offers us through Jesus. Jesus has not only come to forgive us of our sins if we repent and trust him. He has come to plague us to the very life of God. He has come to plague us to the loving life of the Holy Trinity. To share in a love that never runs out. And immediately we, we realize something profound. That no one loves us like Jesus does. Because no one has ever offered to bridge 
an infinite gap between us and God as Jesus does. Only Jesus loves you unconditionally because only Jesus knows all about your secret sins, all about your secret doubts, all about your hypocrisy, all about your shame. And he still wants life with you. Only Jesus knows you like that. And therefore only Jesus loves you like that. You see, no one can satisfy us like Jesus can because no one else besides Jesus is able to plug us to God, the only loving and powerful person in all of existence. And the good news of Christmas is that God is offering us this unconditional love of God in Jesus. He entered this world to to plug us to God, to bring forgiveness and new life with God. So the question for you this evening is, how should we respond to this amazing offer from God of life through Jesus Christ? Well, we must respond to this gift that God offers. The way we're going to respond, I hope, to every gift you're going to get this Christmas, right? We must receive it. We must receive it. And this is our final point here. The first point we learn from this verse is that God loves us. And the second truth we learn is that Jesus is God's gift of love to us. So how should we respond to that? Well, we must receive this gift of Jesus. That's the third point. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In the Bible, belief and faith are the same thing. So what John 3, verse 16 is saying to us is that to benefit from the gift of Jesus, we must have true faith in Jesus. We must repent of our sin and put full trust in Jesus. We must ask God to forgive your sin based on the death of Jesus on the cross. You must truly surrender your life to him. And if you do that this very moment, God will forgive your sin, past, present, and future, Jesus would take it all away. And more than that, he will give you a new life and a new future in God. God will now come and live inside you and nourish you with his love and care. But if you refuse to truly surrender your life to Jesus, you remain cut off from the love of God and under the severe wrath and punishment of God. You would have willingly chosen to suffer eternal conscious torment in hell forever. God does not desire that for you. You are here this evening because God wants you to have life with him. So come to him. Surrender to him. Make this Christmas different. Make this Christmas a Christmas you are spending life with God. If you are trusting in Jesus, if you have truly surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm not saying you said some sinner's prayer somewhere. I'm saying you have truly surrendered. You can say, for me to live is Christ. If you can say that, then you have received and opened the gift of Jesus. And you should be thankful to God for that. At the same time, recognize that sadly, sometimes, 
Even though you've opened the gift, you sometimes stash it away instead of enjoying it. Sometimes we look at our sins, don't we? And you feel, we feel like failures of no use to God. We feel God has had enough of us and no longer loves us because we've stumbled in some sin. Sometimes when we are going through a season of suffering, we start feeling that God is distant from us. Perhaps we are praying for something and it doesn't seem to be happening and we become discouraged. We start doubting his love. God knows that. God knows that. And that is why you are here today. That is why you are here so that God can remind you this Christmas season that he has given you all of himself to you. Take Christmas as a gift from God, the Christmas season, as a gift from God that is intended to remind you afresh of his immense love for you in Jesus. And Christmas does not just remind us that God loves every human being and is offering this loving relationship with God through Jesus. It reminds us that. But if we are true believers in Jesus, it's far more than that. Christmas reminds us that God has an even deeper and special love for those who believe in Jesus. Those he has called to himself in Christ. You see, you are a follower of Jesus not because you are smarter than other people. You belong to Jesus because God set his eyes on you in eternity past. Even before God created you, he loved you immensely. And out of the benevolent love of God... He chose you to share his electing love of you in Jesus. Christmas is meant to remind you that you are the reason Jesus came. He came on a specific mission to purchase for himself the elect of God. He came to bring you to himself. It wasn't a trial and error exercise. No, it was a mission to serve all those that the Father had given him. Jesus came to turn God's choice of you into reality. To bring you home as a chosen member of his family, as a beloved child of God. So this Christmas season, God wants you to know that he loves you in Jesus for all eternity. And that nothing can separate you from his eternal love. All that the Father has started and is doing in your life, he will finish. Our God is working out his beautiful plan in our lives for his glory and for our good. Christmas reminds us of that. So this Christmas, welcome this love of Jesus afresh by thanking him for his amazing love and as a believer, surrendering afresh to him. Because God in Christ has given us Christ himself as a gift for us, for all eternity. Amen.